My name is Johnny Levy. I've been serving this body for about 10 years. I've been preaching for about eight. And today is my last sermon. So it's difficult to describe what that feels like. It's like this mix of all these different emotions. Um, you know, I kind of just want to run around and touch everybody. Um, but the Lord has filled me with something for you today. And I'm going to get the joy and the sorrow of just kind of carrying that out. And so the name of this sermon is called The Bittersweet Blessing. And the passage that the Lord has given me is, I, I, I don't know a word for it. I'll just say bonkers. I just keep saying bonkers because it's, you know, the timing and then, and then what the Lord has given me to walk us through is, it, it renders me speechless. It's beyond description. And so we're going to jump into it. Now, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 48 today, so you can go ahead and get, get moving over to that segment of Scripture. And there are a couple of key words that are three key words, really, that are going to keep coming up that are big in this section one of them is blessing, the idea of blessing. Another is crossed hands, because we're going to watch Jacob. Jacob, at the time that he's doing the blessing, this deathbed blessing, he's going to cross his hands at a certain point. And then this idea of perspective. Uh, so blessing, crossed hands, and perspective. And you might think, well, I don't see how those relate together, and you will. Now, in terms of thesis, I always like to, to start off and tell you where we're headed, start with the end in mind. One thing we're going to get into is that sometimes God crosses his hands. Well, what does that mean? We're going to get into it. We're going to really spend a lot of time hashing out the idea of what it means when God crosses his hands. Second thing is, how will we respond when God's blessing seems to us an evil thing? Right? How do we respond to that? What, what do we do with that? So, so much of life has that particular interaction for us. And then finally, this idea of the gift of perspective, right? like, like taking a long view and how necessary that is in our processing of what God's doing in our lives. So a couple umbrella scriptures. I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. You don't have to go there. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. God speaking here through the prophet. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen? That's the God we're dealing with. God who has an infinite perspective. God whose ways are infinitely higher than ours. And we're over here and we can just, we can just see that much. Right? And so God's reminding us of that in that passage. And it's something that's meant to bring us to a place of awe in who he is. And a place of humility before him. 
And then I'm going to give you James 5.11, which I gave you last Sunday, or the last time I preached, uh, which is uh, the testimony of Job. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And I just riffed on that. I mean, I just, I just, I just wanted to kind of pound that into us, the idea that the end of the Lord or the purpose of the Lord, right? You, you, see, you see the passage of Job, and, 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 and what we're supposed to take out of that case study is that God is compassionate and full of mercy. That is the end of the Lord. That is what the Lord is about. You hang around long enough and you will see that, amen? That's a promise. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 48. Jacob's deathbed. And after this, Joseph was, was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, Jacob, summoned his strength and sat up in bed. All right, so the significance of this, I mean, Jacob's in, in a bad state, and he's going he's gonna to confirm a little bit further in the passage that this is it for him, right? He's facing the end of his life, and that infinite, unknowable journey that comes after that. Now, what we're going to see about Jacob is the way that he faces his death is that he's got work to do, right? He's got work to do. He's got things to accomplish in that space of time, right? This is how he's choosing to face that existential crisis of moving on um, out of this life. Uh, verse 3, then Jacob said to Joseph, right? So Jacob, Jacob begins, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Now that word God Almighty, I don't know, it's, it's El Shaddai. It's, a, it's not always used, uh, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a, an honor and a dignity um, and it, that's being invoked here as, as he says, El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Okay, so he's, he's going back, he's invoking, right, the promise that God gave him, the promise that has defined his life at this moment. And now he's going to do something strange. He says, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So there's reflection happening, right, as, this, as, he's, as he's heading into the next, the next realm of existence. 
He's, he's reflecting on some of the major things that have happened in his life. He's, re, he's reflecting on some of the major, the major sorrow of his life, right? One of, one of probably two. One when he lost Rachel, and then the other when he lost Joseph. But then he's doing this very strange thing where he's saying, I am adopting your sons, Joseph. Notice he, he's not asking permission either. This man is moving within, the, <laughs> he's, he's, moving, he's moving prophetically. Now and through the next, the next chapter, he's moving prophetically. And he's, he's carrying out God's purposes on the earth. And he's saying, these two sons that were yours, my grandsons, they're my sons. They're going to be a part of my lineage and direct inheritors of the promise that's, that was given to me. Now, what is he doing here? Um, he is giving Joseph the double blessing of the firstborn, right? That's what's happening here, right? Once again, we're seeing this carried out where the eldest, the oldest son, Reuben, is not going to get the blessing, and he's going to be very specific as to why he's not going to get the blessing, but the worthy son, Joseph, is getting the double blessing. So this is actually a blessing of Joseph that's happening. And the way it's happening is it's being duplicated into his sons to give him a double portion. Now, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Now, keep in mind, so, right, Joseph, or Jacob actually can't see. Israel, Jacob, he can't, he's, he's, uh, he's, his vision is, is very much impaired. And so he didn't even know that Joseph had brought his sons with him. And he says, who are these? Right, who are these people? And, uh, and, and, and keep in mind, these are, these are men. These aren't children. These are men at this stage, which is going to make a, a different part that I'm about to get to a little bit tricky to, to, to translate. But these are men. And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Emphasis here. Bless them. What is in Jacob's heart? What's he filled with, right, as he's now heading into the hereafter? What's he filled with? He's filled with the desire to bless, right? We see that just flowing out of him. And he says, bring them to me. I want to bless them, right? And what he's also saying is, you, son, I want to bless you. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. You hear the worship there, right? Do you hear, do you hear the, the rejoicing there? How God has been more favor, favorable to him than he's deserved, more than he expected has been given unto him. And he's grateful. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth, right? So a lot of times people think because of that passage they're kids, but they're not. They're absolutely not kids. So it must have been that they had come close and were kind of leaned over his knees, but Joseph is taking them back. So Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was 
the firstborn. Now, what's, Joseph, what's, what's Jacob doing here? What's the context in which he's doing this? Blessing. He's blessing. He's blessing them. But he's also flipping the script, right? He's also doing something quite unexpected, right? And the significance is the right hand of blessing is for the older son. The left hand of blessing is for the younger son. And what does he do? Oh, oh Jacob, true to form, flips it. Takes that right hand, puts it to the younger, left hand to the older, right? Conferring, therefore, the blessing of the firstborn on the youngest as opposed to the oldest. Now, there's a lot of significance to this that we're going to get, that we're going to get into later. But I, I do want to at least touch on a theme that we're seeing throughout Scripture here, which is that, that the, God is creating a pattern in which he doesn't follow the protocols that are expected of him. He's, he's, he's creating a pattern in which the weaker or the younger or the lesser gets the greater blessing and the greater and the, and the person who deserves it and the person who's expecting it gets the lesser blessing. Right? In other words, he switches the things that are, that are uh, what, what's deserved here is given here and what's deserved here is given here. But that theme will continue throughout Scripture until the time when the man who was perfect and holy on a cross was killed and given the thing that ought to have been given to you. And you were given the thing that ought to have been given to him. Amen? Your sins upon his shoulders. So God is setting us up for the gospel outright, constantly, since creation, since Cain and Abel, right? Cain, the firstborn. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more later. But I just want to at least point out just how these pictures of the gospel through the Old Testament just continue to get built up. These themes continue to get built up so that when it comes, when, when we see the fulfillment of it, it's like, oh, that was coming all along. Now, Jacob, this is also a beautiful, a, beautiful, a beautiful section. And he blessed Joseph and said, right? He's blessing Joseph. He's not just blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. He's blessing Joseph by giving that double blessing to his sons. And, the God, and he said, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth and listen to the brother's testimony because he just got done saying the last time when he was talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, tell me, how old are you? He said, 130 years old. And he said, the days of my life, have, man, many of them have been evil. I've had evil days. You remember he said that? Many, yeah, and, and yet now we get to see the perspective at the end of his life, right? He's facing those pearly gates, and what does he say? He said, God never left me, and he never let me down, right? He was always there. He redeemed me from all evil. I look back, and it was all good, amen? It was all good. As he now is proceeding into glory, he has the perspective to look back and to say, it was all good, because my God was with me and he never left me. Somebody say preach it. <laughs> when Joseph, now I'm in 17, 
and I'm going to camp out here for a moment. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know. I know, my son. I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Now Joseph was displeased. Now what that means, if you look up, if you look up the word for that, it means it seemed evil to him. All right? It seemed evil to him, the thing that his father was doing. Now, there are a couple reasons that it could be that he thought that. You know, it could just be that's not the protocol. It's understood that the protocol is the right hand of blessing goes to the firstborn. It could be just like Joseph saying, hey, you know, you're not doing it right. And maybe it's because you're blind (laughs) that you're not doing it right. But I also think it could be, like, if you trace back all the trouble in Joseph's life, where did it come from? Crossing of hands, right? He's, he's, he's walking around in this coat that his dad gave him, which represents, you know, his dad's approval above all of his brothers, right? The crossing of the hands. You look at his life, it, it, it led to nothing but strife for him, and it led to nothing but terror for him, right? It caused his brothers then to hate and resent him. And then you go and look at the generation before that, Jacob and Esau, Right? Jacob steals the blessing that was meant for Esau, and it becomes this contention between them that defines the conflict that happens in his life. And then you look before that and before that and before that. You look at Cain and Abel, right? Same thing. God shows favor to the the younger son. The older son is frustrated and angry, and he kills the younger son, right? And so this is the dynamic that is is not leading to good things, Dad. And you're about to now do this to my sons, the same thing that was done to me, the same thing that was done to you. Like, why, Dad? Why would you do that to us? It displeased him. It seemed an evil thing to him. And so, Joseph's response is to grab his father's hands, right? Like, you're not doing it right, Dad. And his attempt is, he's going to set it straight, right? He's going to do it the way that it ought to be done. Only one problem with that. This is God's will, right? This is not a man's will, this is God's will. And so his efforts to uncross his dad's hands are going to end in failure. Amen? And praise God, because we want God's will to be done. And I'm sure Joseph would say the same thing. You know, sometimes grace doesn't feel like grace. Sometimes grace doesn't seem like grace. Sometimes God's will seems evil to us. Raise your hand if you're honest. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a time, and this is within the last six months, that, that I was so broken by what God was doing in my life 
I was so broken by the amount of pressure and stress that I was carrying that I couldn't eat. I could barely drink water. And, when I, and, and I tried to sleep to get an escape from what I was feeling. And, and the stress, it felt like it threw me out of bed at midnight. Like it felt like my stress level just threw me out of bed. And I end up wandering you know, around my house in the middle of the night, you know, whimpering before God, crying out to God, where are you, God? Not feeling his presence, not feeling his peace. And I remember I came to a certain point where I said to the Lord, I said, you told me that if I come to the throne of grace, what I'm going to find is mercy and grace to help in time of need. And I'm in need, but this doesn't feel like grace. And this doesn't feel like mercy to me. That's what I told him. But then what I said was, but whatever, because I'm still going to be here. I was like, you're going to find me here. Whether you give me what I want or not, whether you make me feel better or not, you will find me here. And let me tell you something, that didn't feel glorious coming out of the mouth. That didn't feel like some, some uh, you know, big emotional payoff for me. That felt like being dead as a bone and saying some words that it's hard to even mean. But can I tell you something? Man, I think the Lord honored it. I think the Lord loved those, those dry, desiccated, broken, dead words coming out of my mouth. I think he loved it. I think when I go back and do the review tape with the Lord, when we look over, you know, at the end of the game, you look over the tapes, God's going to be like, I liked that. He's going to say, I liked that, son. Am I giving, giving credit to myself? I'm not. I'm saying that we get so broken that sometimes we can't see it, and that's okay, because what do we do? By the grace of God, we keep moving the best we can. And one day we will see. Because I look back now, and of course I, would, I will tell you, and I will testify to you, I would, not change, and I would not change what he's done in my life. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I would not change any of it. Because if I changed any of it, I wouldn't have gotten the blessings that he's given me in the form of external blessings and in the form of internal blessings, being able to endure, right? Like we gotta be able to endure. That's part of what we're learning. That's part of what he's teaching. God's concerned in doing more for you than just making you comfortable, and I know y'all are like, no, nah, I know that. <laughs> but he's also a God who blesses, right? Blesses beyond measure. Blesses beyond what your little thimble mind can even understand are the plans that he has for you to do good by you. You hear me? And you'll see. Is that a prophetic word? Maybe. So, he blessed them that day saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings. He's talking to Ephraim and Manasseh. By you, Israel will pronounce blessings saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites 
with my sword and with my bow. Completes the blessing. Now, it says nothing about Joseph's response, but there is an implied response, isn't there? There's an implied response. Joseph let go, right? He let go. He stopped wrestling with his father. I mean, obviously, Joseph's a young man. He probably could have forced the, he probably could have forced the issue. But that's not really the way blessings work, right? <laughs> no, you better bless, you know, you make you bless this one over that one. Like, it's, it doesn't work that way. Um, and so the implication is that Joseph let go. Joseph submitted. He submitted to his father's will. May not have liked it, may not have understood it, but he submitted to it. Let go of his father's hands, receive the blessing, and just, and just had that amazing moment with his father to have that, you know, have things given to him the weight of the things that are being given to him, he probably doesn't even understand, right? Like these moments, like when, when the Lord takes that patriarch who's about to die and the patriarch says, all right, bring me the kids, bring them to me. Like everybody knows what's coming, right? And so often at these moments, that patriarch was acting prophetically and saying what was to come, right? And, and, and giving blessing to this one and cursing to this one and rendering judgment. And, and, and all that's about to happen. You're going to see that in the next chapter. Um, but what an amazing moment as we close out the, the chapter. So the things for us to carry with us. Sometimes God crosses his hands. Sometimes God does things in ways that we would not have chosen or would have expected. And sometimes God does things that seem evil to us. Right? And that's consistent throughout Scripture. We just don't always understand what he's doing. His ways are higher than our ways, right? And, and, and my response to that is irrelevant. I mean, it's irrelevant to me, but it's irrelevant to the truth of the fact that God is right and I'm, and I'm right if I'm agreeing with him, <laughs> right? And I'm wrong if I'm disagreeing with him. You know, his ways are higher than our ways, and that means that his dealing with us can be bittersweet right? It can be bittersweet. It can taste bitter. It can taste real bitter, but ultimately it's sweet. Because remember, like what's the context of this whole passage? What's Jacob doing? It's blessing. He's doing it in an unexpected way, but he's blessing. That's what he's doing. He's blessing. And so how do we cope with that? How do we cope with, with the idea that God sometimes crosses his hands, that God sometimes comes across his, and does things that are unexpected and painful. Well, one piece of that, I'm going to go and take us right back to the divine perspective, right? At the end of Jacob's life, right? He had been through horrible things. Like Jacob had been through horrible things that none of us would have envied, right? To have one of your children and think that you're, 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 you're the, the child of your heart, your beloved son, has been butchered by an animal, but, but, then, but then also to have your other sons deceive you about that and to have to live in that deceit for years upon years upon years and then somehow find a way to forgive, right? Like somehow find a way to, 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 to move on and then to find out he's still alive. Like we cannot it's probably foreign to us to be able to understand the depth 
of the suffering that that brother went through. And yet, at the end of his life, we get to see the eternal perspective. We get to see the divine perspective, like God was always with me. And we, because we get those moments where we get to see the people of God saying, yeah, it was all good. God was right in everything that he did, and he was perfect in all of his ways. He never left me. He never forsook me. He was always with me. See, we get a chance, hopefully by the grace of God, to pull a little bit of that into the present. Amen? Because that's what we need. You need to pull a little bit of that into the present, as much as you can get of that into the present, to help you walk through those painful times and those painful moments. You know, I'll make it personal. I asked God, I, I remember the day, I was out walking in my neighborhood. I was out walking early in the morning, and I, and I said, God, I'd like you to let me grow old preaching at this church. Like, I'd like you to let me stay here for the rest of my life. This is probably, I don't know, seven years ago, something like that. Um, and I asked him that with, 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 I believe, you know, a pure heart. As pure, a pure heart as a man can have. <laughs> you know, I asked him for that. And I was sincere in my asking. But that's just not, it's not how it worked out, right? That's not what God had in mind for me. And that's okay. Because he's good and because he's right. So, so a little reflection for you as we, uh, as we close. Um, like I said, I've, I've, been, I've been ministering before you for 10 years, so these are, you know, this is my opportunity to give the blessing to the people that I've loved and that I love with a belief that this blessing carries weight because it's a blessing I've been working on for 10 years. I was looking back at some of my old sermons, and, uh, and I, uh, February 26th, and this is random, but, you know, like, I really started kind of preaching in earnest in 2016. And, uh, and I was looking back, and I was like, I really, I want to check and make sure I've been saying the same thing the whole time. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, uh, this, this is a, qu- a direct quote from that sermon, I want you to make space for God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God cannot be your treasure if you do not give him space in your life. And I read that and I was like, yeah, amen. Consistent, right? (laughs) Consistent. Because that's what I've been preaching. Like my ministry is connection. That's my ministry. It's connection. It It is connecting with you so that you may be connected with God, right? I want to connect you with God and I want to connect you with each other. That is my ministry. That is what I've been doing for 10 years is trying to connect you with God right? I want us to have authentic, deep relationships with the living God. I want us to grow and to transform and to be vibrant, and I've been working on that and pounding on that for 10 years. And so this is the blessing I leave with you, right? Is, is to sum up my ministry in, 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 in three words, abide in him. Abide in him. You have to know him for yourself. I can't know him for you. I can only know him for me and then try to shepherd you into that. Amen? Which is what I I plead with you. I've pled with you. I've challenged you. I've called you. 
to love him, to see him as a treasure, to see him as exceedingly valuable, and to give him the space and the time to move in your life and to be connected with him and intimate with him. Amen? And so that is my prayer and my blessing that you can, and I trust that you will, that you may be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen? This is my blessing that I pray over you. This is my blessing that I give to you. And as a subset of that, the idea of fellowship, right? Like, I know what it's like to know that I'm not the sum of my parts, right? To know that I only stand here before you able to speak the way that I'm speaking because of the people, many of them in this room, who have contributed to my life and who have pulled me up out of the pit, who I have called crying, who I have called broken, and I've said, I don't see it, help me to see it, and they did. We don't grow without connection with brothers and sisters to help us. Do you hear me? So walk in the light as he is in the light. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then what happens? We have fellowship with the brothers and the sisters, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Lock arms and hold fast to the brothers and the sisters who have contributed to your life and who God has linked you with. Do you understand me? Because we do not grow alone, do we? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That word, peace. I don't think I know a better word than peace. I don't think I know a greater word than peace. And so God's peace be upon you. Every person in this room that's looking me in my eyes, God's peace be upon you. May he carry those roots down deep, 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 deep into himself and cause you to flourish and to be an oak of righteousness in a world of shifting shadows. I'm going to pray. Uh, worship team, come on up. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these people. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for these, these years of ministry that you've given me. Thank you for these bonds that you've created in this place and for the love that we have for each other. Thank you for reconciliation and redemption that we've tasted. Continue to do your work in us, Lord. Continue to do super abundantly more than we could ask or think according to your mighty power at work within us, Lord. Continue the work that you began. And, and I, I pray that you would just make a vibrant forest out of these people, Lord God. Trees with thick trunks and deep roots and long branches 
and green leaves and juicy, delicious, health-giving fruit. And even as I pray, Lord God, I know it is your will. I know it is your will because you are so good and so perfect in all of your ways. And your intentions are so pure and so righteous and so compassionate and so gentle to us that even when we can't see it, Lord, it's only a matter of time. And we will see. Like that's what I'm seeing. You've given me to see that this day. And I pray that you would open up the hearts of the people to see that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.